God is good, isn't he? God has a plan and a purpose. That's right. All the time. God has a plan and a purpose for us. God is good. He's always good. I want you to say that out loud. God is always good. I mentioned some weeks ago, and uh, this is not my sermon, but I just want to just very quickly say that uh, I felt like uh, a lot of the church, uh, probably of the world, but I don't live around the world. I live here in the U.S., but I know at this this nation that a lot of faith was really challenged in this last year now. A lot of faith just challenged, and uh, it, it exposed a lot of things in us and in our in the church. Uh, it exposed what the church really is. It exposed what we really believe. Uh, so God used it. Everybody say God used it. I want you to say this out loud. God didn't do it. He used it. Remember, God didn't put Jesus on the cross. Satan did. The Jews did. The Romans did. But God used it for his kingdom, didn't he? Right? God didn't raise the hammer. He didn't need to. There was plenty of hatred in this earth. But God doesn't let the enemy's hatred go to waste. What the enemy didn't know was that his hatred was spooled up <laughs> from before time began. God already had a plan spooled into his hatred for his purpose. Amen. Isn't that incredible? And so there's a lot of things going on in this season right now, and I feel like I didn't plan on saying this, but I need to say it uh, today, is that um, our faith is present tense, and I believe from the Holy Spirit today will be challenged in this next time more than ever. Our faith needs to be centered and focused on the kingdom of God. Now, I just hear from the Spirit of God that your faith cannot be in a church. I know that that's, we, we don't, can't, sep, in one way we don't separate the two because we are his church, but some things are going to change even more, right? Some churches' doors may close and some may have additional flags out front in the coming seasons. All right, so some things are going to continue to change, and what's going to happen is we're going to have to make pivotal choices in our Christianity from this moment forward. We always knew this time was coming since I was a very little boy. I was born and raised. Jesus is returning, and the end times are coming. You don't know when, but you just know. You know, I mean, you, you, when, you, when we were little, it was 20 years, and then that 20 years is always 20 years. <laughs> But I had a, a vision from the Lord when I was around 20. I think I was around 20. I'm almost positive we were pregnant with Elijah. And I had this vision of the Lord, and I saw Jesus weeping. And he said, tell my people I'm coming soon. Now, a pastor, I didn't even know this, but a pastor had the same exact vision. It was on DVD at the time, and I had never seen it. Because the same exact words came to my spirit as he said, and I said to the Lord, I know, Lord. Because I'm thinking, of course I know. I've been hearing this since I was a little boy. I said, I know, Lord. And he was weeping, and he said to me, no, you don't. He said, I'm coming sooner than you think. And I had found out later that there was a, this very well-known pastor that had had this experience with God and the same exact words, and he said the same thing to Jesus, I know, and the Lord said to him, no, you don't. I'm coming sooner than you think. This will be a season where we're going to have to really cleave, not to our faith, but our faith in God. 
Because faith itself, if all you have is faith, it will be crushed and challenged. Our faith is going to have to bypass the word faith, the idea of faith, because I had mentioned some weeks ago, I know this, but there's a faith that can achieve things, because God's given us power, and I'm going to speak about some things about his name, and there are things that you can do because you are God, God's, you are God's representative on the earth, you are his ambassador, the Secular person like a Bill Gates gives away billions of dollars a year, and he can't give it away fast enough. It comes back because he's, he's actively using principles that God established, like gravity. You don't have to be a Christian for gravity to exist. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, when you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, you're going to die when you hit the ground. Unless the Lord supernaturally brings an angel I heard a story about a guy who jumped out of an airplane. The parachute did not work, and he landed in this, like, incredibly dense thatch, like, you know, six-foot-deep uh, thatch, you know, like these bushes that grow. So now he broke, like, all of his bones in his body, but he lived, and he's okay. And it was like one of those I shouldn't be alive stories. Man, talk about a miracle. But so you don't have to be a believer for the things in God to work. So your faith will work with and without God, I know that that's strange because it's a principle. There are people that believe that they're not sick in other religions and their belief is so strong. God has given this ability of belief that they believe themselves out of their beds and had nothing to do with God. I mean, it does, but they don't acknowledge him. Does that make sense? But what's going to happen is we're going to come into a season where our faith is going to have to be in God and God alone. It's going to have to be in him and only in him because some of the things that we used to anchor to as part of our faith, like we don't even realize it, but part of our faith, one of the anchors is a peace and security in, in our church, just churches across the world, you know, just part of your security. And when the church is gone, and I really believe the Lord gave us a, a preview this year, and I believe it was out of his grace that the churches were closed so that we would be challenged to, to come to the place, maybe not right here in this building, but across the nation and across the world, that the church would make a decision, I'm a believer even though my church is closed. That I'm going to actually, in fact, become even a stronger Christian even though my church is closed. And those days, I think, are going to increase, and so I didn't mean to get into that, but I believe the Holy Spirit just had some things that he wanted to say today. Is that Okay. And so we're going to have to grab a hold of our faith in him more than ever. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith in God. And I believe the Holy Spirit's not going to leave us there. In fact, I want to segue right into my sermon. Um, this is a part three, even though it started like over a month ago, because we had Joe Caulfield in between, and then we had Justin last week, which I was excited to have both of them, and that was the timing. So... You probably don't remember, but that's okay. I'm not offended because I had to go and refresh myself in my notes of where the Lord wanted me to go. Um, but you can listen to the podcast, and I really do believe that the three parts do go, do go uh, hand in hand together. So if you have time this week and you want to get on the podcast and listen to part one and part two, I believe that the Lord's going to bring some things together here in part three. And it's this. We're going to turn together. In the book of John, chapter 14, and this is directly segueing from where I just left off in this 
thing that the Lord had me start saying, the Holy Spirit speaking this morning, that he is not going to abandon us, verse 18. John 14, verse 18 says, I will not abandon you. I want you to read this out loud. The Lord said to me, I want you to say this out loud. The Lord said to me, make it personal. This is to you. It wasn't just to the disciples. He speaks through his word to us outside of time, doesn't he? When we read the word, we believe as Christians that it bypasses time, don't we? We're still reading 6,000-year-old stories as if they happened yesterday or happening right here and now. And isn't it amazing when God's word is so timeless? Right? How many people across the world do you think feel a little abandoned right now? A little orphaned? I believe in this church you have a strong faith here. And I love that the Lord really has made us a tight-knit group. And that there is a faith. But there are many across the world, I believe, that their Christianity was light. And I believe it was challenged to this point where they felt abandoned and orphaned. But... This will continue. It's going to continue to where we're going to have to. Why would the Lord say it to them if they weren't going to be challenged with this concept? The only reason Jesus said it is because there will be coming a time where you're going to feel abandoned and feel orphaned. And we need to know right now that the Lord has not abandoned us and we are not orphans. He says, I, come on, he, let's read this out loud, he will come to me. It says, soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Amen. It's amazing to me when I look throughout history from the 2,000 years that Jesus said this to now, what has happened to this earth. I mean, I know that I'm a broken record when I talk about war history, but I'm just, I just can't believe World War II and World War I, World War II, the 1918 flu epidemic that hit this earth. And I would have believed, I would have been on the street corner saying, Jesus, you better get yourself ready because the Antichrist, is he's, he's alive and he's moving. He's trying to conquer the world and you better be ready. And then we go into these seasons of peace, you know, the 1950s, right? I mean, I think we can all agree it was probably the greatest decade in American history. As far as peace and ease, and that was the Betty Boobop, right? You know, <laughs> we're getting a little amen back there. You know, the cars were cool. Music was cool. It wasn't, it was nothing too edgy yet. You know, war was a price that was paid, but they were, they knew that it was a price that it was worthwhile paid, so let's live life, right? It was before the 60s, before the rebellion. There's just peace and happiness and newspapers and Nice hats and nice suits. My grandfather, I've seen the photos, was out there doing gardening with a suit on. What a strange time in history and peaceful time. 
And then 60s happen, rebellion, right? And then the children are born from this rebellion. It's my generation. Everybody's wondering, why are millennials so crazy? Well, we rebelled. We just started saying, God, forget you. We don't, evolution is no longer a theory. That's our, that's our new theology. Babies are no longer sacred. Marriage is no longer sacred. Just do whatever you want, little by little. And so, even if we are on the precipice of another time, like World War I and World War II, and it's going to continue on for another 2,000 years, I believe that what they would have felt then, 100 years ago, as far as like, man, when you look at what's going on in the world, I think you'd be saying, Lord, where are you? If you were in one of those trenches <laughs> during World War II, and you'd say, this is God's earth, this is his kingdom, I mean, it's easy to say because we're just looking back like a blip, like in history, you know? We have a toothache and we're like, oh, God, for like six hours. Oh, God, you've abandoned me. I'm forsaken. <laughs> Imagine trench foot for like weeks on end. And so I believe there's going to be this time that we are going to have to just cleave to him again and know that he is in us. That we are in the Father. Jesus is in the Father. I'm in the Father. You're in the Father. He's in us, and we are one, even though the earth doesn't look like it. It didn't look like it when Jesus came back and told them that. In fact, do you know what the news was saying when this became a reality? It actually says that fake news paid off the Jews... We love Jews. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. There's no offense to the Jews, but this is history, right? The Jews paid the soldiers to tell the people that Jesus' body was stolen. Just because Jesus was risen again, and just because they were not abandoned, doesn't mean in the earth it looked like it. It may not look like it in the earth. In fact, just the opposite. The narrative may be his body's stolen. Now, you're outraged inside because you're like, no, he wasn't. I've seen him. But that's the narrative, and that's what the lie that gets spread. I mean, today, that we, you know, the, the world still says those things. They may not know those verses, but they still will say those things. He was just a man. Everybody knows his body was obviously put in a grave that no one has found yet or stolen or something, Right? We need to know right now that just because we don't see it, because we don't feel it, he has not abandoned us, that he is one with us, that we are one with him. Bypassing time, bypassing this earthly reality. How's everybody doing today? Happy Mother's Day, by the way. All these children around. Happy Mother's Day. Just want to say love to the mothers. I got right into the sermon because the Holy Spirit got going, but I just want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and thank you for the price that you've paid. It's an incredible price that you pay every day that we don't give enough credit to. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm so glad that I'm not a mother. <laughs> That's a hard job. Oh, man. Wow. Amen. Children are a blessing, aren't they? They are such a blessing. I just saw it in the back. 
There's a little tiny thing in the children's church that was the children's church last year. <laughs> and it says, children are a blessing. I just noted it on the way out, and I thought, wow, it's a, what a thing to see for Mother's Day. This is, this is the next generation, and this is God's kingdom right here. Wow. Amen, and thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for the children. Just like Jesus said, don't push the children away. Tell them to come to me. Just a quick review, Philippians 4, and you don't have to turn these because I'm going to do them fast. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, every spiritual gift we need is in Christ while we're waiting for his return. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, by his divine power, God's given us everything we need. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, He's identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees. Everybody say guarantees. The Holy Spirit's the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. That was a review from weeks one and two. Everything we need is in him, and the Holy Spirit was given as the seal, as the first installment. That's the guarantee. And it says in John 16, and you can turn with me here, John chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 13. John 16, verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory, bring Jesus glory, by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So you have sorrow now. Everybody say, I have sorrow. But I will see again. I will see him again. It says, then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, everybody say, at that time. Who believes, who knows what that time is? Anybody know what that time is? Is that time past, present, or future? Oh, that's a trick question. Because <laughs> technically there is no time with God. That's why it's a trick question. Because, you know, the second that Jesus said it's finished on the cross, it was done. It was finished. And when he told the disciples what he told them, he was telling it to us. We just didn't hear it yet, but it was told once and for all. So the time was then and the time is now. We're not waiting for this to come. And yet, we're also waiting for the final fulfillment, the new earth and the new heaven. But he says, at that time, which is now for us, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. Everybody say his name. He said, you have not done this before, but ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. What I've been preaching on for these three weeks is that there is no excuse for our inadequacies, and that's not a pressure. I don't mean it as a condemnation. I just mean it's not like that we're filled with excuses, but that God has done everything for us. 
that when Jesus paid the price and when the Holy Spirit was sent, the believer has every single tool they need in God. We have every resource we need in God. We have joy. We have peace. We have hope. We have life. We have everything spiritually and physically. We have spiritual fulfillment in Him, and we have every single physical need met in Him. The Holy Spirit fills our needs, and the Word says, do not worry, because our physical needs will be met. Everything we need is in God. And in fact, what I want you to focus on today for the next bit of this sermon is that He gave us something that I can't even wrap my mind around, and I started working on it, and I mentioned this two weeks ago, and then I went back into my studies to refine the sermon for today, and I still can't even wrap my mind around this, but that he put his name on us. I want you to say that he put his name on us. The Bible says in the book of Revelation 22, verse 1, Revelation 22, verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. And on each side, the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And no longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face and his name. Let's read this out loud. And his name will be written on our foreheads. And there will be no need, no night. There will be no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. And they will reign forever and ever. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and there with him 144,000 who had his name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. They have kept themselves, verse 4, as pure virgins following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased. Everybody say purchased. They have been purchased and set apart and sealed with His name from among the people of the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. Now, this verse is talking about the 144,000, but we can apply this same exact verse because we go through the Scriptures and the same exact thing happened and we're going to get into that today, but happened to the whole church, not just the 144, but that the whole church was set apart. We're called the virgins that are clean and pure and set apart, and we have been given his name. Revelations chapter 3, verse 12. Revelation 3, verse 12 says, All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God. And they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I also will 
write on them my new name. Isn't that amazing? Who's encouraged just by reading those verses? Anybody just filled with the Spirit of God right now? That's what I'm, I'm, I keep reading it, and I kept going over it, and I'm like digging for deeper, okay, Lord, I want, I want the full depth of your truth to, the, to what you're trying to say here, and I don't believe I have it today. I'm going to bring you what I've got, but what I'm trying to say is that there's such depth that my mind can't even get it. I don't even understand. I'm going to preach the best I can for these next few minutes, but that there is such an incredible thing that happened when the Lord God of heaven and earth and of the universe sealed us with his own name. Something miraculous. Isn't that incredible? His own name was sealed upon us. Now we know the word says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. We know that when the name of Jesus is just uttered, right, demons tremble. They tremble at that name. The kingdoms of hell, they act proud and arrogant. And things in the world, that's what I was trying to say at the beginning of the sermon. Things in the world, it seems like when the devil put that fake news into the earth at that moment that Jesus, his body's been stolen. If you were to listen to the narrative of his camp and his kingdom and the narrative of the earth, you'd be pretty discouraged. And what was happening simultaneously is that this underground current of the church, those who had the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit within them were secretly changing the world forever. Literally, a brand new religion was being birthed into the earth and they didn't even know it the more they killed the more it grew amen and that was because the name was sealed upon them there was such incredible power and i used to have these dreams as a kid where i'd be like kidnapped i i like i was literally it was probably five times a week and i just i was little little tiny boy in my dreams and I would say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And I never had a dream once where it was successful. I believe the Lord was warning me since I was a little boy that darkness would be after me just like he's after every soul. And certainly tried. But in every single dream that I had when I said the name of Jesus, that thing fleed. I was so confident. You know, the, uh, the, we call it the age of accountability. Right, where your eyes are open now, and you see the world as a young man and not a boy, and suddenly now that's the moment where your faith could be challenged, and that's where people go off and they start thinking different things, and they leave Christianity even though they were raised in it. And the Lord kept me secure. Thank you, God, that he did. Amen. Kept me secure in it. But do you know, I was so confident that I believed in real life that all I had to say was the name of Jesus, and that real-life kidnapper would have to let me go because I said his name. In my innocence as a child, I believed it was that powerful. And I remember my mom saying to me, I don't want you down at the park at your grandmother's by yourself. And I said, why not? And she's like, well, there's bad people. And I was like, well, I'll just run away from them. And she's like, why don't we do a test? Why don't we go in the front yard? This was real. We really did this. You try to run as fast as you can. Let me see if I can catch you. 
It wasn't too hard. She caught me pretty quickly because I was just a little boy. Can't run from an adult very fast. But I was so confident in my little boy faith that I could get away from any kidnapper. You know, that's who we are in the spirit. What the Lord showed me then was in the natural. There's things, you know, that even if my body had been taken, I thank you, God, for his grace and mercy, because there were certainly some times. There was a time I was out in my bike I shouldn't have been, and this truck started chasing me, and I literally hid my bike in a bush and climbed a tree, and I watched the butt truck go up and down, up and down, and finally, like, you know, whatever time it was later, it left, and I rode home as fast as I could. But, you know, even if I had been taken, and let's say they murdered me, you know, I mean, something just as horrible as that is that happened, my spirit was secure. I didn't have a lack of, my theology was not wrong. It was that I would have been lost in the natural, but that the spirit of God, the name of Jesus, is, it seals your spirit into eternity. The body may be challenged. Jesus' body looked like it was bruised and beaten to nothing left. The disciples all faced it. The world has been challenged ever since. But the Spirit of God that is in His church could not be shaken, could not be touched. The Spirit of God kept growing and growing and growing and growing, and the church could not be stopped. Amen. That's the name of Jesus sealed upon us. We need to understand that today. Even if they kill the body, the Lord says, do not fear them. Because he's in charge of our soul. He has our souls in his hand. What does it mean to have a name? There's so much to a name. A name can represent royalty and honor. A name can also be a scar on a nation. When the family name is mentioned, you may receive favor and special treatment, or your family name might not be something you want to even mention. And even though you are not the person that did or didn't do whatever is bringing praise or curses, the fact that you are related, that it's your family, brings a response that you've essentially inherited. I find this really funny, and sports fans, they support particular teams, and when a fan supports a team, something happens, which is very funny to me. When you wear the clothing of the team, you wear the hat, you wear the t-shirt, and you might say something like, this is my team. Emphasis on the ownership of the team. And what will happen is that that fan will meet a fellow fan, and there's an encounter that happens, and the two will join in ownership, this is our team. And there will be joy in their conversation to this total stranger just because you're wearing the same hat and the same t-shirt. You two are joined together in this family, and not just a family, but in ownership of this sports team. Isn't that funny? Who's encountered the opposite effect? If you're wearing the wrong hat, or the wrong t-shirt, rage. I've seen rage erupt out of a person and become a fist fight over having 
The wrong association. Now, you're not the player that played bad, that they made a bad bet on and lost all their fortune to. You're just wearing their name. And yet that name carries an, an ownership of that team, even though you have no stake in the ownership. And so what does it mean to have a name? A name is identity. Everybody say, it's my identity. Names like Smith came from blacksmith. A smith was one who worked with metal, and every town had one, so that's why the name today is very common. Brown, this is very funny, I didn't know this. Brown was literally just a name for hair or skin color. Miller was a name for the person who worked in the grain mill. Taylor, these are, all the, these are the most common names in the world, right? Google them, looking them up. And they all had meanings. A tailor means to cut. They were the town tailor. Names like Wilson, and there's lots of sons, literally just meant that's Aaron Wilson. Which Aaron? I don't know. Wilson. Aaron Wilson. Aaron Wilson. And so the name was your identity. You had a personal identity because that was still Aaron. That's still Erica. But who is Erica? Well, she's Erica, and she's Erica EMS. <laughs> who? Erica EMS. EMS Erica. G.I. Joe. Which Joe? G.I. Joe. Every, every, anybody in here not know G.I. Joe? That's not his name. That's his identity. We're all known by our personal name, our first name, but then we have a last name that gives us an identity. And today, we don't really change. We don't give last names anymore. It's more of a continuation of lineage, right? I don't know that there's very many last names still created. It's just a continuation of lineage. But something still happens to this day. Well, we're in a modern era, but traditionally something still happens where the woman who is married, actually is raised by her parents. She's made ready to be a wife one day, and then she marries her dream man, Mr. Wright, Mr. Adam Bennett. And she's no longer called by her name that she was born with. She retains her first name, but she's identified with a new last name. Now, spiritually, we were born... Adam Anarchy, Sally Sinner, Bill Backslider, William Worldly, Debbie Devil. But we exchanged vows with Jesus. He said, you are no longer called by that name. Now your identity is Christ. You are still you. I'm still Adam. But when the Father sees you and for that matter, the devil sees you. He might try to make you feel like he doesn't know who you are, but he knows who you are. The world might try to downplay who you are. They might have their fake news narrative. Churches are closed because it doesn't exist anyway. Come on. But in the kingdom, in the spirit, God knows who you are and changed your name, and so does the enemy. And we're going to talk about what happens when he doesn't know your name as well. I'm still Adam, but when he sees me, 
I'm identified, I've been grafted in to the family of Jesus. I gained a name. Now, I'm just little Adam, little nobody. David's like, who am I that you're mindful of me? Who is man that you're mindful of him? And he took little man and he grafted him into the kingdom of God and put his family name on them. I don't think we realize in our modern era how much a family name, the power to family lineage, and what family name means. It's becoming, you know, it's less and less a big deal, but throughout history, your name literally made you royalty or a pauper. Just by the name you were born with. And it was almost something you couldn't shake in the natural. You had to do something spectacular like slay a dragon. Wait, what? Did he just say dragon? Isn't that mythology? Maybe. But Jesus took us and brought us supernaturally through marriage into his family. And this is what the Bible says. I just want to read some things here. It says in Ephesians 5, Christ is the head of the church. Verse 23 he is the Savior of the body of the church. And it says the church, verse 24, submits to Christ. The church submits to Christ. It says in verse 25 that Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean, washing by the cleansing of God's word. Verse 27, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. She's holy and without fault. It says in verse 29, Christ cares for the church. It says in verse 31, that just as a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, the two are united into one. You are no longer who you were. You still retain a part of your identity. It's not that God doesn't care about us. We still retain personality. We retain some traits. Some traits need to die. Some things he's going to use for the kingdom. But you become one with him. It says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The Bible says there that we've become one flesh. We have literally become the bride to the husband Christ. Now, some things happen. These next minutes, I just believe, I just want to bring some points here together. Something supernatural happened. And it happened in the kingdom of heaven, but it also happened in the earth. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may not be aware of it, but something happened in the spiritual world in this earth. No matter what they say, no matter what you see, no matter what you know in your human knowledge, in the spirit world, when heaven and hell look at you, you have a mark on you. You have been marked by God. God put a ring upon your finger, and that means that you are set apart, right? What's that ring mean? I have a tattoo on my finger. And when you see that ring, what does that mean? That means that they're taken. That means they're mine. And in fact, not just that, but if the enemy were to see a ring on a woman's hand out in the town square, 
And they said to her, whose ring is that? And she says, oh, it's King Arthur's. I'm King Arthur's. All that she would have had to do is just say the name. And suddenly, she is not him, but they would back away in honor and the authority and who she was. Both, both good, bad, and ugly would have some respect for her because of who he is. The enemy likes to parade around like you're nothing and you're nobody. God doesn't care about you. The world doesn't care about you. You've got no power. You've got no authority. But you don't even realize what's happening in the spirit world when you pray, when you say the name of Jesus. Something supernatural is changing. Imagine if I asked the disciples a question, do you think that the church is growing? I don't know what their answer would quite be. I would say, they would say yes, but do you think they could envision what it is 2,000 years later? Do you think they could fully understand the price that they were paying, what was actually happening while they're being beaten and persecuted? Do you think they could fully understand the growth of the church? I don't think so. I think they'd have faith to believe whatever God can do, will do, but I don't know that they can understand what God was actually doing in the supernatural, in the unseen, by that name being upon them. What happened when that woman became one with that man is that she came under authority. Everybody say under authority. I don't want to offend all the hardworking women, self-sacrificing women right now on this Mother's Day. I didn't write the word. God did. But uh, Peter calls the woman in 1 Peter 3, 7, the weaker vessel. Now, there's plenty of women that are a lot stronger than me. So they're not weak in that way, but this is the kingdom. This is how it works. The woman was the weaker vessel. Traditionally, the man, right, he protected the house. He worked outside. He was the one with the weapons, not the woman. <laughs> and the woman took care of the home, took care of the children, right? Traditionally, until our modern era, this is how it worked. And it was, she knew I'm protected by him, and I'm taken care of by him, unless he was a bum. But he would supply her needs, he would take care of her, and he would protect her. And so when we came under the name of Jesus, Jesus being the groom, we came into his supernatural protection, and we came into his supernatural provision. He is outside in the world. We know that we are safe. We must know this, know this, know this, know this, know this, that when he put his name, when we made that covenant vow, when we made that marriage vow, that he said, I will not forsake you. I will not abandon you. You must know that, no matter how you feel. You might feel like you are alone, and all you're doing is, this is men and women, but all you're doing, you're just cleaning house all the time, washing dishes, taking care of the kids, because, you know, you're working in the kingdom of God, and you're like, Lord, where are you? And you don't even know what he's doing out there, protecting you and bringing provision your way. One day he shows up and all of a sudden there's a blessing at your front door and you don't realize the price and the cost it took to get that to you. We must know right now that Jesus is busy. He did not just die, go to the cross, and then just go sit on a throne and he's playing Scrabble right now with God. But he is actively fighting for his bride here on the earth. Present tense. He is bringing his blessings to us constantly. Who's aware of that? We as the weaker vessel and Jesus, who is the authority in the covenant, 
He secures the woman, the bride, his church. He protects her and he covers her. And he shares in, she shares in his strength. Everybody say that out loud. She shares in his strength. That's why Paul said, though I'm weak, I am strong. I am weak. I'm the weaker vessel in this relationship, but I have a strength because of him. Amen. It says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Do you know what a yoke is? That's because the two oxen plowing the field were one unit. Was not just, well, we'll work side by side, and it's a constant fighting with him. They literally, we became one. If we yoke with Christ, he will take us and carry us. He said, let me teach you. I'm humble, and I'm gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Amen. John chapter 17, verse 11 he says, now I'm departing from the world, and he is praying to his father, and I love this prayer because this is the supernatural protection. He said, Father, I'm physically departing from this world, but human beings, my church, Adam and Dawn, their children, and this church are still going to be on the earth, Father. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. This is incredible. I, I'm going to say these words, but there's something supernatural that's happening in our spirits that's greater than I even understand and you understand today when I say this. He said, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Jesus had a name that was given to him by the Father. And at that name, as I already mentioned we know those verses, but it needs to be said again. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Knees tremble at that name, and it says that God gave Jesus, God gave him, he named him that name, Yeshua. And then he says, now protect them. That's us. Everybody say, Jesus prayed that the Father would protect me by the power of of the same name that protected Jesus until his time. Isn't that incredible? Jesus walked through crowds that wanted to kill him without them even knowing where he went. Jesus walked upon waters. The demons, they trembled. Sickness could not touch him. Nothing could come against him. In fact, when he's talking with Pilate, he says, you have no power over me. The only power that you have is given to you. And the Bible says here in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that God the Father would protect us by that same name. The power of your name so they will be united just as we are. We literally were grafted in, were brought in to the family of God. We don't realize how big that is. The devil comes and argues with God because we see it in scriptures. Do you know that? Do you know that Satan still to this day argues with God? Does Satan win in his argument? <laughs> what do you think that argument looks like in the heavens? Sure, he can whine like a little baby before God. Who's got the final say? 
Who has the final say? It might look like, man, God, World War II, how could you allow that? Who had the final say? Yeah, but Lord, there was so much cost. There's so much blood. There was so much, there, the price, it's unbearable. Who had the final say? You know, meanwhile, during that same 1950s, you know that was one of the greatest revivals. It's not really, we don't talk about it as much as the awakenings, but really the 1950s are one of the greatest revivals of all time for America. Did God cause World War II? Of course not, but did God, God is God. He, everything that happens, he has to allow. He's still God. If it happened, he allowed it. Doesn't mean he did it, but he allowed it. But he used it. Because then there came this time of peace and there became this wave of 1950s preaching, right? Like, the, like America had never seen. That's where Billy Graham's came from. And many, 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 even though there was a great rebellion, got saved because of that time. Amen. Around the world. God has the final say. He has given us his name and nothing and no one can stop him. He goes on in John 14, you can ask anything in my name. And I will do it. He says, ask in my name. I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. The Bible says, and I just want to close with this. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, it says that, verse 11, that Paul was out doing miracles, it says, and he was doing all these incredible things for God. But in verse 13, it says that a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. And they tried to use, everybody say use. They tried to use the name. Everybody say it again, use. Sometimes people have prayed and, and you know, listen, there's two reasons why prayers don't get answered. Number one it's God's, not God's will or timing, that's one. And two is that it's the wrong motive or wrong heart. If he's not answering it, it's not that he doesn't care or hasn't heard it. It might take hundreds of years. God always, I, when I read my word, he always fulfills his vow and he hears every single prayer. I don't read in my word about any prayer not getting answered. It may have taken lifetimes, but, that's, but God is not in the earth. God is outside. God is a kingdom God. He's not an earth God. Amen. And then there was a group of people throughout history, this still goes on, that uses the name of Jesus like a tool. And it says they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. And it says that these seven sons of this, this leading priest, his name was Sceva, and these seven sons were out traveling and doing this. And it says... Verse 15, that they tried it, and the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul. What he's trying to say is, I know Jesus, and Paul knows Jesus. Everybody say it out loud. I know Jesus, and I know Paul because I see the mark of Jesus on Paul. But he says, but I don't know you. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. And the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. And a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. 
many who became believers, I thought this was interesting because I never noticed this, that they became believers first, but then just because they believed, they had to confess their sinful practices. And a number of them who had been practicing, a number of who? Of the believers had been practicing sorcery, brought their incantation books, and burned them at public bonfire, and the value of the books was several million dollars. This was not the world. I never noticed this. All my years, I never noticed that it was actually the believers. They believed in the name of Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. We must come, I mentioned some weeks ago about the virgins in Matthew 25. We must come into the wedding hall the wedding hall and wedding banquet of Jesus Christ. We must put his ring on our finger and be married to him. And when that happens, we cannot just use the name. We cannot come and go and be free and be flippant about the name of Jesus. And he's just, well, I'll try this. I'll try the therapist. I'll try Oprah. And then I'll try Jesus. And whichever of them works for me, that's what I'll go with. And what happens is the enemy wins in that person's life, and they don't know why. They never, ever get through their issue. But we as his church are not like that. Amen. We are married to him, which means so many things we're not going to get into today. But just within 10 seconds, I'll just say it means complete and total commitment to him. Don and I, we've made a covenant to be married. Right? And in that covenant, it is 100% selflessness. It is, I owe everything to you. You owe everything to me. We've become one. Jesus has already given his commitment. He already did it as a down payment before we ever said yes. And when I come into that relationship, again, I want to leave you with this encouragement. You must know today that when you are married to Christ, when you have given up yourself and your, all your stuff, just like they had to do here, and like Paul, and like Peter, when they entered into that relationship, literally in the spirit, even though the world still seemed to go on as it was, in the spirit realm, God sealed you. There was a seal from heaven. And in the spirit realm, the enemy knew who you were. And there was such power, Paul would be shipwrecked, he'd be beaten, but every single time, there would be a miracle on the other side. Every single time that the enemy would try to touch him because of the name of Jesus that he had within him, that seal, there would be a miracle. Amen. Anybody encouraged today? Anybody encouraged today? <laughs> I can't see faces with masks. God is with us. He will not abandon us. Amen. He has not abandoned us. And we have his name. And so we just pray in that name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's not just a name that we know. We're not ashamed to put the name on the church. We're not going to start pulling names off churches and pulling down your crosses and get rid of all your power and just turn your church into a Starbucks and wonder why you're not in your church and wonder why the enemy is winning. But God, we put your name back up high. We raise the cross of Jesus Christ because we are not ashamed of you. We're not ashamed to be married to you. And we are proud to show the ring. We're proud to wear the hat and wear the t-shirt. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're proud to be bold that I'm married to Jesus. I'm not ashamed. And I thank you, Lord, that they may mock, 
But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in the spirit, the demons are bowing their knee to that name. It's not me, but I'm married to him. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you, God, for your church. And I just pray for a blessing, your protection and your blessing. I thank you. Your word says you send your angels to watch over us. Your blood has covered us, even your own blood, Lord, a blood covenant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood is even flowing through our veins. Lord, we have your blood in us supernaturally. Lord, science just hasn't figured out how to test it yet, but I know for a fact your blood itself is flowing through our veins. We have the DNA of Christ. We are no longer the old man. We have been created new. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that every plan or purpose that has come to try to steal, kill, and destroy, it will fail because you came to give us life and life abundantly. And I thank you, Jesus, that there is a heavenly homeland secured for us beyond this natural realm, and it cannot be touched. Moth and rust cannot destroy. Everything that we need is in you. Everything that we could desire, Lord, is in you and in you alone. We just give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.